Welcome to Drinks World, where we celebrate and connect entrepreneurs in the beverage industry in South Africa. Today's guest, Peter de Villiers, started his career at Gilby's, where he worked as a statistician and then later as a brand manager for some interesting brands like Coco Rico or Malibu, as it is known today. Peter has many years' experience running his own business, and I'm very excited to bring you his story in today's episode. My name is Holger Meyer, and this is Drinks World. Thanks for joining us today. Today's guest is a veteran in the liquor industry, and I'm very glad to welcome Peter de Villiers to the show. Welcome, Peter. Thank you very much. Peter, tell us, how did you end up in the in the liquor industry? Well, I um, just like most people, I saw an advert one day um, for a, uh, a stats guy at uh, Gilby's, and um, I didn't really want to be a stats guy. I wasn't that good, and um, but I applied, and I obviously. Um, told them that I wanted to be in marketing and that sort of thing. And they said, well, you know, we've got this job. Um, if you do it for a while, maybe, you know, a vacancy comes up in the future and you can be in marketing. And that's what happened. And, um, yeah, I, I loved the, the company. It was, a, it was a big company. It was part of the big three uh, wine and spirit companies. Um, the other was SFW in those days and Distillers Corporation. And um, Gilby's had a, um, a big portfolio of about 50 brands at one stage, and but the big one was Smirnoff. And um, yeah, it was a lovely company to work for and learned a lot about marketing of liquor products and learned a lot about new product development um, along the way. And it was a great experience. And did you have to have a degree for the stats job or was it just really a uh, pin pusher job? I, no, I actually, I did actually have a um, a degree, and um, my major was economics. Not that that's important. Um, I hadn't done particularly well <laughs> in stats. Well, yeah, I, I think basic stats is the only subject that I actually failed at varsity. I had to repeat it. <laughs> <laughs> But, yeah, uh, let's not go into the varsity <laughs> career too, too much. <laughs> uh, but I learned a lot of things about the liquor industry at Varsity, mainly about beer, though. Yes, we all did. <laughs> yeah, from Soli Kramers. He was my, my teacher and Mr. Jibbo. <laughs> yeah, but, um, you know, computers weren't even around in those days. And um, I think I got one of the, in my job, I got one of the first computers. It was a It was like a calculator with a uh, little a graph a drawer. It was, <laughs> I'm sure it's very, very valuable if somebody had kept it now. And I used to churn out these pie graphs and bar graphs with this thing. It was, it was and then they were physically pasted onto reports. Um, it was, um, it was actually quite interesting. Yeah. So, so you made it, you, you then made it into the sales or the marketing side at, at Gilby's. What did you okay, do? It was, what, what did you no, do? No, it was it was in the marketing side, and um, became a, a a sort of a new brand manager. And uh, one one of my first products was uh, Coco Rico. Wow, w- which which was developed um, by Gilby South Africa, and um, 
and then in years years later um it uh it became uh, malibu which is obviously a, a big international brand and uh, yeah it, it it was a very inter- interesting story um why it was called coca rico um uh, and i'll tell you quickly but there was they wanted to they wanted to call it um malibu at one stage but there was a malibu hotel uh southern sun malibu hotel and that was a problem and so it had to be coca rico in south africa and it was known as malibu in other countries around the world um and then at some point it, that changed so was it launched as coca rico here and simultaneously as malibu overseas it it no it 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 was coca rico here and then the the name malibu was the preferred name internationally Gilby's was owned by a company called IDV International Distillers and Vintners. So these um, new products um, were transferred, you know, within the group, and uh, Malibu was the chosen name for it internationally. And then it eventually, um, the Malibu Hotel, I think, uh, you know, allowed it to be called Malibu in South Africa. Okay. And you were the brand manager for this. This must have been a really yes. fun project. It was. It was a great, a great project. Also, what was interesting about it, from a small business point of view, was that the brand became massive. It was. It was absolutely huge. You, wherever you went, people were drinking Malibu and Coke, Malibu and orange juice, and and it was really a big, big brand. Um, as as big as anything currently on the market um but then it hit a peak and when when i joined it was already way down from its peak and the challenge was to try and you know get it up up and going again and um yeah it it was one of those lessons that it, the brand was probably too sweet um to have um longevity because you know people move with brands they start drinking it when they're 18 and and in you know five six years time you know they're not wanting as sweet a drink um as their palate changes and you know it's like wine you start off with sweet wine and then you end up drinking dry wine later on um so that was a lesson that um i took for you know the for the future when when the mojo company started um that there would there'd always be these sort of fads and and I've tried to steer away from that to not go for the you know the the initial mad rush to the brand rather just build it slowly and 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 the brand can last forever if you if you get it right yeah you're right i mean i've certainly been at the wrong end of of building a fad brand myself um, but, yeah. but I think there's uh, there's another side to this uh, Malibu, and I think it also counts for some other liquor products. Is that if you if if a product, I mean, if people overindulge on certain products, they never want to drink it again. Absolutely, there are there are some people that can't even put coconut uh, sun cream on to this day. <laughs> I mean, then you have to wait a generation until you can get new <laughs> new new consumers. That's correct. Yeah. Um, 
so how long were you at Gilby's for? I was there for about eight years. Okay, and and just yeah. doing the stats and then and then the brand management. Yeah, and then um, I was never the um, new product development manager or anything, but I always took a keen interest in what was being developed. And Gilby's was particularly, you know, busy in that area, and it was always really interesting to see what was coming out next. Some of them, a lot of them, you know, one in ten makes it. Um, so you can launch a hundred, a hundred brands and put money behind it. You're a big company, but only really ten survive. And I think if you're a small entrepreneur, you know, you got a, a one in twenty chance of, yeah. of your brand surviving. It's 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 pretty tough. Can you name some of those old no nostalgic brands that we might? Uh remember if you mentioned the names there, there were some that were so obscure um that i don't think anybody would would really remember them um but um one one that is still around to the best of my knowledge um is um, and, and i think people will remember this one was a lupini yes. uh, black sambuca okay and um you know that whole sort of sambuca market you know, has completely fallen away. Um, yeah, it's got pockets of, of of interest, but generally speaking, you know, a lot of those brands don't exist any longer in the in the Sambuca market. And I think Sambuca um, was also one of those where people overindulged and then never wanted to taste it again. Yeah, yeah. I can remember there was a stage when it was promoted together with coffee beans. Yes, um, that that's. That's correct, um, and I think privately I'll, t I'll tell you um, a story about a, a thing called an Italian omelette, but um, that's for another day. Um, but <laughs> they, they, I think people have got a lot of stories, and, and some people have even got a lot of burn marks on their bodies from lighting the, the Sambuca, and that doesn't seem to happen much anymore um, in the bars. Um, there, were, there was uh, Sambuca that used to light, and flaming Lamborghinis and all sorts of things. Yeah. But it, it sounds like this was a perfect um, training ground for your your future career, which you at that stage you obviously didn't know about. Yeah. I When I when I left Gilby's, I, there was a whole thing going on in the country and um, I got involved in boxing promotions, which, you know, actual boxers like Pingon to Bella and, and that sort of thing. Um, and traveled to the United States quite a few times and it was really exciting. Um, so that was, you know, I sort of left my corporate career behind and then I got involved in a clothing business, which was highly unsuccessful. And um, I was sort of licking my wounds one day after the clothing interlude, which, which lasted a good sort of eight, nine years. And, um, and then, Fortuitously, I bumped into an old colleague, and um, he was um, tinkering around with some product development and that sort of thing. And and yeah, one thing led to another, and um, and Mojo was born. Was Mojo your idea, or was it was it um, did it come from from your colleagues? Well, you know, it it was a uh, Mo Mojo was the actual name. Etc. was okay. was certainly you know my idea, but um, everything that you do 
is sort of out there mm-hmm. and you 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 work with it and um, and change it yeah and change it there to make it a better product um, I mean if you if you take like the the gin explosion you know people putting vein boss into gins and that sort of thing that you know the the base product is always there yeah um, and um, really um, you've got to just see that there's a future by changing things and going in a slightly different direction and that's what happened for instance in the gin market yeah um, a lot of people were very very negative about gin you know it was my either my mom drank it and uh, she was always sad <laughs> after <laughs> she had been drinking it and those myths developed and then all of a sudden all this energy came into the gin market and and then bang you know everybody's drinking it and it's the it's the done thing to be you know drinking gin all of a sudden so so yeah the, these products um they were sort of around um but you know a bit of tweaking here and the marketing um angles that we used and that and and, and then the how to drink it is a huge factor okay so so with mojo um it was in an era where Apple sours was a huge category. It it, it, it sort of um, it was sort of peaking at the time. And that, and, that uh, so that, yeah. that apple sour was also interesting because that was uh, somebody brought in apple sours from the states, I think, and then few, and then it, and then somebody locally looked at it and said, "Look, we can do a better job." Yeah, we can copy um, it, and and it it yeah. just caused a massive explosion of new product development. I would guess a whole a whole new industry was born. That's correct. Yeah, and 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 Mojo has also got the 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 reason why Mojo is a successful product is because it's got the sour element. Okay. It, it comes from um, malic acid. So that um, it was born in that sort of era as well. That that's correct. Okay. And, so- and what the malic acid does, but um, remember, apple sours was more of a shot. Yeah. Um, people drank it as a shot. Um, but the malic acid in a cocktail type drink is very important because it balances out the sugar. Um, so the drink isn't um, as sweet, as, you know, even though it might have a fairly high sugar content. Okay. Um, it doesn't taste as sweet. And, and that's the secret. It, it balances the drink beautifully. Okay, so tell us tell us a little bit about um, uh, when you started. I mean, when you start a liquor business, you don't. People ask me, how do you start a liquor business? You don't have a liquor license. I mean, you bumped into somebody that could clearly mix and and match flavors and make stuff for you. That's a big help. Um, what what were the challenges for you, or how did you start? Well, look, you know, the, what, what you really have to d- start doing is, you know, just knocking on doors and um, finding people that can distribute your product for you. And, um, and, and that's sort of the way it's remained today. You, we, we deal with a, a lot of distributors all over the country. And, um, and I've, got, I've got reps. But, you know, when you, when you start out, you've got to do a lot yourself. You've, you've got to go and get people to taste the product. Um, you've got to get people to, um, you've got to make friends with people in bars, in restaurants. You can't just think that you can 
deliver your product to you know a big chain group and and it'll start selling and nobody knows about it you actually have to you know work work hard at the pit face and and i mean i spent uh, many 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 nights in nightclubs and late night places um and um yeah built up strong relationships with um bar owners and uh, that's the route that we took um rather than you know just finding somebody to stick it into the big chain stores but the the product would never have survived um without a lot of money behind it and um yeah look there are success stories um where people have managed to get their brands um through the chain stores um but you know normally those are you know very specific um very specific reasons behind that yeah i mean my I always uh, disliked working with with the on trade. I preferred working with uh, with the bottle stores and particularly the independent bottle stores. Um, and I, I've watched many of these startup brands in the bottle stores, and they start up with a big excitement. Everybody wants to stock it, and um, and they last for for a while, and then then they disappear. Um, where where whereas it sounds like you had the right strategy by actually building. Uh, the brand in the in the on trade and uh, creating excitement. Yeah, it's a it's it's a, it's a harder way to go about it, but it but it, you do need to create a demand for the product. Yeah. You need to get people to taste it. Yeah, and and tasting in bottle stores is it's, it's quite problematic um, because you know anybody that walks into that bottle store, <laughs> you know, is is going to taste the product and. If 98% of the people are over 50, and your product is aimed at 20-year-olds, you know you just you are actually wasting your time. Peter, you are the pioneer of the jam jar. How did you come up with with that idea? When I say I'm the pioneer, um, there was a restaurant group that was doing some jam jars. They had various cocktails in them, so it was really a case of looking at that and saying, "This I can pair with." With my brand, and um, so we are essentially synonymous with with the jam jar now, and um, and it's and it hasn't been a fad. It hasn't been something that was you know popular for five years. You know, to this to this, we didn't start it from day one, but probably about two or three years into the brand. The brand's life cycle. We we started it, and it's still going strong today. Um, you can go anywhere in the country, and you'll find Mojo Jam jars being served. Um, but what you know, it goes back to what I said earlier. You know, nothing is one hundred percent original. Yeah. You 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 see something somewhere, and and you you bring it into your brand. When we spoke earlier, you said that you've actually created a way for ordinary bars to serve cocktails where they wouldn't normally serve cocktails and that for me was interesting that's correct yeah yeah it's it's it, a lot of a lot of places um you know if if you take a very very busy bar um but it might just only be busy over certain times you can't just put in you know quickly put in four barmen um for those two hours um it doesn't work that way so um a lot of people would say well you know, I'm I'm going to run this thing on 
one or two barmen, and we're just not going to do cocktails. And uh, the jam jar sort of alleviates that because it's so quick to make. And um, it's as quick to make as pouring a, a normal drink. Okay. So can you explain how to make? Yes. Yeah. So, okay, let's take, a, let's take the, the big jar, which is a, a one-liter jar. Um, you fill it up with ice. Um, you put four shots of mojo in, which is um, a cranberry spirit cooler. Mm -hmm. And um, it's 12% alcohol by volume. So then you add an extra two shots of vodka to, you know, power it up. And, um, and you, you add Sprite or lemonade or, um, and, you know, out it goes. It's very quick. Put, put in a couple of straws and, um, yeah, somebody will, you know, drink it like two or three drinks over a period of time. And, um, yeah. You might not want to put three or four straws in during COVID, I guess. No, no, no. Yeah, you know, they used to be, <laughs> they used to, Used to be the big ones used to be shared, but we brought out a 375 mil now, um, so that's perfect for one person at a time. And 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 the smaller jar actually has become quite popular, um, and not just because of COVID, but um, yeah, I mean, COVID. I don't even want to. Let's not even discuss COVID. COVID was a disaster. Absolutely. Uh, so. When when people see this jam jar with a big mojo branding on it, um, it must be similar. I started when when I started in the trade, we we had uh, the German club was one of the big draft beer outlets in in KZN, and we were regulars there, and we started selling uh, Bavaria draft on tap there in competition to Castle, and Castle was served in these old half liter jugs, and. I got some beautiful stem glasses from the brewery and with with beautiful Bavaria logo on and 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 I mean that's typically how you serve beer in a, a pils in in Germany and soon I had the whole German community drinking Bavaria in that in that bar because they wanted to drink it out of these glasses and there was one rule I'd give the bar the glasses or the club the glasses on condition that they wouldn't serve castle out of it and that's how I converted the whole community because people see the glass and they want the experience. And I guess that's the same happens with your jam jar. No, ab absolutely. And, you know, if you've got good reps that are calling regularly and, and have built up good relationships with the customers, you, you, you won't find that they put any other products in your, in your particular, you know, jars or glasses and that sort of thing people are pretty loyal um from that point of view okay and um i i actually own a bar um for my sons um called the bomb shelter <laughs> cape town is a small little underground bar um that's why it's called the bomb shelter okay. and um we, we're just so thankful that a, a rep even bothers to show up here that uh, we would never you know take his glasses and, and pour other products into it yeah um, it's, it's so, um, yeah, it, it definitely, it, it does work. Um, the visual thing, once a, once a mojo jam jar goes out, people, you know, who don't know it, you know, immediately start pricking up their, you know, their eyebrows and saying, Hmm, that looks interesting. I think we might try one. Yeah. 
And what is the typical bar? I mean, is it is it a trendy bars or is it just any anybody any any kind of outlet that serves these things? You know, it's 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 absolutely everybody. Um, the the a, a lot of it. You know, if I have to say, the sweet spot would be bars that have got a, a sort of an outdoor deck area. Okay. That that um, you, you know, I, I can mention names if you want me to, mm-hmm. but um, I don't know if, if if that's any good. But but if if a a bar's got a big outdoor area, that's probably where these merger jam jars are the most popular. Um, it's very much uh, you know sit out in the sun and um, and just listen to some music and have a good laugh. You've got you say you you have your own reps. How how do you approach the getting getting winning the trade over? Look, it, it's 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 a hard job, um, and we 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 focused our efforts on more on the independent trade, as I say, because. You know, once you start going to the the big groups, um, there there are a lot of terms and conditions and payment yeah. uh, issues. You know, you you like to operate sort of more on a COD basis. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's pretty tough for the small operators to have all your working capital sort of tied up in you know accounts payable. Yeah. And um, so. We've always just built up very good relationships with the trade, and um, yeah, it's worked for us. We we, you know, and then there's another issue that, and and that is where you are. Some outlets will expect you to to pay for listings, yeah, um, of products, and we don't do that. Yeah. Um, you know, if you if you don't want the product, um, you don't want it. It's that's fine. But we we can't pay we can't pay for a listing. Uh, that was and pay for exclusivity and pay for pouring rights and that sort of thing. That that's something that wasn't really around in the Gilby's days, but it's become a big thing in the trade now. That um, you know exclusivity, um, and um, so that's why you'll find one big brand in one outlet, but um, and then not in another outlet because somebody else paid for those boring rights. It's a, it's a bit of a curse for the small entrepreneurs. Um, yeah, we've certainly come across that where somebody buys the right to sell tequila in a bar and then you can't come up with your brand. And That's um, right, yeah. Yeah, absolute That's... problem for the, for the entrepreneur. And I'm sure it's not, not even legal. Um, probably yeah, hard, hard to police, but... Uh, um, you know, you if you if you sort of challenge it, you you're going to upset the proprietor, and you might be doing some other business with him on some other brands. Yeah. So, um, yeah, you just have to kind of walk away. But it's it's quite sad um, that there isn't a proper law uh, that's enforced to 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 stop that sort of thing. Another topic, I mean, how have you seen the trade change since you started to what it is now? Since the, the sort of the Gilby's days, um, Gilby's actually owned a, a, a chain of bottle stores called Rebel Bottle Stores. And um, so it was sort of vertical integration days. Um, and um, But now 
what's really changed is that the supermarkets have become very, very powerful. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's sort of three big groups and then maybe 10 sort of medium groups and, and they really rule the roost. Um, if you want, if you're talking about volume, you've got to be in those supermarkets. Yeah. Well, and uh, that, that's been the, the, the biggest change. And I mean, they just literally, um, these chains, they move into a shopping center and they just buy up the, every single independent operator. They hardly exist any longer. Somebody was saying to me, if it wasn't for tops, we, um, all the small entrepreneurs wouldn't be able to survive because they can do um, direct buying or they support the smaller guys and they, they are kind of the lifeblood of, of the independent brand owners. Yeah, look, that Tops is a is a great um, chain, and um, they they do have a lot of leeway. You know, they don't always have to go through head office and that sort of thing. Depends on the the the, the particular store, but um, and they also um, they're putting a lot of money into the into the actual retail outlets and that sort of thing, and so it's a it's a nice environment for the customer to shop in. Yeah. Um, some of the some of the chains, it's it's kind of like just um, very very basic, yeah. and no no um, aesthetics um, in the stores and that sort of thing. Um, but you know it's convenience, and um, but 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 Tops puts a hell of a lot of energy into their stores because the stores are independently owned. You as an independent trader can have relationships at store level, and. And uh, the the big guys can't really control that relationship. So no, absolutely. Um, these big merchandising companies that do the work in, in this in the supermarkets can't. I mean, they're not really good at launching small brands. They're good at managing big Heinekens or SAB brands, but they're not very good at um, launching new brands. So if you prepare to do the work at that level, um, you will be rewarded, I guess. That's that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the the whole market um, has changed uh, radically. I mean, uh, just one old story from way back that that I'll never forget. I was at Gilby's and I was you, you used to do a thing called route riding with the salespeople. Um, and over a period of sort of five years, you would have spent a day in the trade with just about every rep that, that was in the company. And there was this one guy. Na- I remember his name was Cedric. He was an older guy. And we got to a bottle store and um, it was an independent bottle store. And the manager was sitting in his office and he, he, he said, Cedric, you, you 10 minutes late. Um, I was going to start lunch without you. And uh, I was getting worried that something had happened to you. And, and that's how <laughs> the relationship had developed over the years that this guy was waiting for the rep to come so they could have lunch together. Yeah. And he was, he was 10 minutes late and he was worried. <laughs> I mean, it's just phenomenal. I mean, you wouldn't get anything like that nowadays. Yeah. I think another big thing that has changed the way or the liquor industry, I think, is social media. And obviously the guys that were good with social media, and I think particularly of the the market that I've been involved in recently, the craft beer market and then obviously the gin market, have really used social media to to an amazing extent to actually gain traction and tell their stories and 
and get their brands known even before they could, you know, they had such an amazing reach that they could get into places without ever putting foot into those places. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, social media is is a huge boon for the entrepreneur because um, your the other means of advertising is is just too expensive for a small operator. I mean, to advertise in a magazine or a newspaper or obviously television is very expensive. Um, but now all of a sudden the playing field does level out a bit. I mean, you can obviously spend a hell of a lot of money on social media, but it's it's accessible to the small guy, and it, it, it's it's wonderful. Yeah, and have you been able to leverage it um, for your business, for your brands? I, I think that you know we're getting to the stage now where we want to um, we want, as I said to you earlier, we've we've got somebody in KZN who um, is is doing our social media, doing a fantastic job. And now we want to start, you know, pushing the pace quite a bit. Um, we, we've got quite a few brands now. Um, uh, we, we haven't really touched on them, but we've got a brand called Black Widow, yeah. which is a, a premium toffee vodka. And um, this this brand is just um, doing phenomenal things. And a, there's a lot of interest in it. And it's, it's a very interesting case study because... You know, we, we've had a situation in South Africa where um, caramel vodka um, was a huge, you know, category for a few years. And it, 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 it grew very quickly, but crashed as, as quickly. And um, so one would think that, uh, you know, Black Widow was around in those days, but it wasn't doing a lot. And um, slowly but surely, we've been putting more effort into it, and um, people love the brand. Um, and it's 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 got to the stage now where it is it is a brand, and it's not a fad. Yeah. And um, you know, when there's a sort of a thing in the in the bar, there's um, tequila, and then a, a herbal product, which are they they're the sort of the default um, shots in a bar. Um, and then there's everything else. But um, Black Widow is quickly becoming the third one. And uh, for people who don't, you know, want tequila or, or a herbal drink. So um, it's uh, it's really doing things. And we'll, we'll be using social media more and more to, to get it out there. But, but, you know, ultimately nothing beats loyalty and word of mouth. I mean, we, we recently... Um, been contacted by a guy called Eddie who who is such a fan and and he doesn't want anything out of it financially or whatever he just wants the brand to be successful and um, you know he goes and buys it in bottle stores and bumps into people in the car park and tells them about the product and then they go in and buy the product it's just that some of the stories are just you know in, incredible but he's just a loyal customer out there telling everybody um, about the product because he, lo- he loves it so much. Now tell us a little bit about the brand. So you've got Mojo, which is, I guess, is your flagship brand or the, the one that even the company is named yeah. after. Yes. And, and, then, um, and then, Black- then there's Black Widow, yeah. which is the toffee vodka. Um, and then we've got another range um, called the Vamanos, which are... Um, Tequila-flavored products that also a spirit aperitif, 
um, products, um, surveyed 26% alcohol by volume. And um, there are various flavors. Um, we've got a bubblegum one, which is very popular. Um, it's, it's that old Wix bubblegum taste, uh-huh. and, um, which, which really, really people love. And um, we've got a, a, a product in the range called Cinerator, which is um, cinnamon and jalapeno. Okay. And uh, we've got a strawberry. And um, there are going to be other flavors added to the range. Okay. And um, we fairly recently uh, launched a product called Rumbery, which is a sort of rum and raisin uh, flavored spirit aperitif. That's a category that it's in. Um, you, um, you know, there, there are very, um, distinct laws regarding whether you can call something a spirit or a rum or whatever. Um, the minute you start adding sugar and that kind of stuff, um, you've got to, you then fall into, uh, say a spirit imperative yeah. category. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's a fantastic product and people are loving it and it, you're going to see a lot more of it. Um, and, and then we've got, we've got others. We've got a Cunningham's range, which is, um, th- there's a, a peppermint crisp, uh, flavor, which is great for spring mockies. And, um, yeah, and, and, and some other more cocktail orient, orientated products, which we don't need to go into at the moment. Okay. So in terms of a marketer, just going back to these classifications, it's always a challenge to try and name your brand in such a way that you can you can pretend and I see I see even the big brands are doing it like three ships they've launched a a spirit aperitif but it you know it it ends up in the whiskey aisle and it's not a whiskey it's a 30% yeah. spirit yeah. but because the branding is so strong you just assume that it's a whiskey yeah it's it's the I think there are some gray areas. Um, for instance, you know, the, the, the minute you in, I, I think in the United States, for example, if you had a, a vodka and, uh, you flavored it, uh, you can still call it, you can still call it a vodka. Yeah. Um, but, the, but in South Africa, the minute you flavor something, um, it, it, it becomes a spirit aperitif yeah. and, um, and the minute the minute you go below in the spirit category, the minute you go below forty three percent, it can't be called a, a vodka any longer or a gin or whatever. Um, that then, but if your brand name is strong enough, um, you know you can imagine uh, you know just take any arbitrary brand name um, like uh, Beef Eater or whatever. You know you you, you could you you know that it's a gin. Yeah. Um, and so it doesn't really matter that you can't put gin on the label, but because that brand has been around for so long. Uh, but it's, it can be a bit of a challenge, um, for, for, you know, newer brands. Definitely. I, I think that, I think the market has moved on a bit. Also, you know, it's a good thing, um, if products do, uh, if there is an option for a lower alcohol level, yeah. um, you know, in, the way things are going today and um so I, I think you're quite correct that maybe it is time for people to have a look at it quite carefully peter i th- i must say that i'm i'm really glad that we had this conversation we've known each other for for a long time we haven't met very often 
Um, but our paths have crossed and I'm really impressed with, with your story and uh, the way that you've run your business. Having been in the business myself and I know how easy it is for for these brands to lose traction and, and you just start a new brand or a new category and then you kind of lose lose interest in the, in the original brands and it, to me it just looks like you've been able to maintain the the momentum and keep growing and keep digging and i can see from from my websites that uh, that there's still inquiries coming through people are still searching for these brands so really big shout out to you um i think you've done a good job especially for such a small team and uh, such a small business so very good and well, and, and well done well thank you very much for giving us this opportunity we really appreciate it yeah so where can where can people find you you on social media so we so we've got a facebook page the mojo company and um all our details are on there um otherwise um you're welcome to um email me at peter at mojoco.coza and uh, we'll get straight back to you okay and i see I see on your Facebook page that uh, there are a lot of reps and the, the contact details are on the Facebook page. That's correct, yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of your stuff is still driven through the reps. Yes, yes. Okay. So, yeah, just, just go to the Facebook page, the Mojo Co., and, and you can get all our details. Uh, Peter, thank you very much for joining us on, on the show today. And uh, if you are in for in the holidays and you you don't know what to order order one of these mojo jars jam jars at um, one of those holiday destinations and uh, keep it safe keep it uh, tidy and yeah drink responsibly i guess i'll go yeah ditto that to everybody and thanks very much um, for the opportunity again that was peter de villiers and thank you for joining us today cheers Thank you for listening to our stories here online. In the show notes, you will also find a link where you can subscribe to become part of our community and be notified when we upload our latest content.